You're listening to the Docs and More podcast with Lovejeet Daliwal. Today I have with me a multi-award winning documentary maker and executive producer in radio and television. Her awards range from the Sony Award for Best News Programme and the Trick Award for Best Children's Programme to China's Golden Capac Award for Best Director. Having spent 29 years at the BBC, Jane worked with Alan Wicker in the 1990s and in 2015 got the call to help set up a new documentary foundation funded by his generous legacy. Jane Ray is the Consultant Artistic Director for The Wickers. Welcome to the podcast, Jane. Hello, Lovejeet. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you here. Now, just remind us, for those of us who don't know who Alan Wicker was, who was he and what was he like? Tell us about him. <laughs> well, for the best part of 40 years, Alan had a show on primetime television, nine o'clock on a Saturday night, called Wicker's World. And it... Um, If you looked at it one way, it was uh, thought of as a kind of travel programme that introduced people from the early 1960s all the way through to the noughties to places that they would never in their wildest dreams get a chance to visit. But for Alan, it was always about the people. And this show was so popular in its day that it was uh, getting a bigger audience than for example coronation street so it was regularly getting a viewership of around 23 million viewers but alan was very canny and knew at that time that the world of television was changing and those changes were going to disadvantage the independent documentary filmmaker I got to meet Alan and hear all about his thoughts about the future of television and the future of radio documentary in the 90s when I used to work with him on uh, radio programmes, including a history of television, which meant me taking a, a plane across to the island of Jersey where he was allegedly retired, but not really retired at all. He was always up to something. And he would always start our meetings uh, with... Uh, a bottle of champagne which I like the um, sound of Alan <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely my kind of guy he had the most extraordinary mind one of those minds that could make you whoever you were sound dead interesting and I realized afterwards it was a real skill and I was struggling with the champagne I wasn't used to it but I, I, I became rather too used to it and over the years we worked together he would sometimes, he would just look at me and say, what would you do if you could change something about television, film, radio, documentary? And um, we would chat about that. But I had no idea that he was planning this extraordinary legacy, which you described so beautifully earlier. Now, you say that you worked with Alan Wicker as well um, in radio. What was he like to work with? I mean, you mentioned the beginning of all your meetings with Champagne. I mean, how did the rest of the meeting follow? <laughs> oh, my memory gets a bit vague after that. But no, <laughs> he was <laughs> he was charming. Um, you know, people said, oh, it can be really, really difficult. But that that's not the Alan I knew. He didn't always suffer fools gladly and he could give people a hard time. But just that he just knew so much. He came into 
television from uh, a career as a frontline war reporter, having been in World War Two himself. And the, the management, I think, when he first arrived at the BBC was very much the kind of Oxbridge uh, literati who, had, who had, had missed the war. They'd been too young for the war. So Alan came into a world that was, that was right posh. And he had been a frontline journalist. He went missing in action. He actually had the uh, the pleasure of reading his own obituary when oh, he was wow. missing, presumed dead in the Korean War. So you know there were, there was there were certain kind of management types that he didn't have huge amounts of time with and would rub up the wrong way from time to time. But as but against that, he found everybody who was genuine genuinely interesting and would bring things out of well i know he you know he'd, he'd use this trick with me but he could bring extraordinary things out of people just by listening and listening incredibly attentively and then he would go away and write these these kind of blistering scripts that managed to summarize a situation the pros and the cons so eloquently in 40 seconds flat you know you just do a one take wicker straight into the microphone and I would never need to edit it and I I just don't know where this skill came from it was an extraordinary power so what he looked like what he looked like was a pucker military gentleman he was a real maverick and uh, who was who would never toe the party line on anything he always thought independently and originally about whatever the subject was. So he would never just sort of join in the general zeitgeist of opinion. He would he was always being very curious and independently inquiring of a situation. And and that's what I find quite interesting in you know, with him, even as a as a as a reporter, he was very interested in people and sometimes I suppose for some of the reporters you get today you don't really get that aspect of it but Alan Wicker he was like that oh yeah yes 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 no I you know go, going in a taxi with Alan you know could take a very long time because <laughs> <laughs> he was really interested in the opinions of the taxi driver and always had the extra question to ask that taxi driver which made that taxi driver think about things in a way he hadn't quite expressed ever before and so tell me more about the wickers so the phrase that i remember was for the empowerment of curiosity and professionalism in documentary broadcast journalism and um, when i was approached about this i had two if you like criteria and one was that audio documentary was recognized in these awards the other criteria was that documentary talent can emerge at any age and he's very clear on this in fact the best documentary proposals we tended to find weren't from people who were straight out of college or who just finished their their media degree they were usually for people who had gone off and done other things that had given them the time and the access to find out and to see other worlds and they usually came up with the most original ideas and the best access for the film so it had to be there had to be no um, age limit on it. 
do you actually sift through the applications yourself? We do do the long listing. So we do all the pre-selection for the judges. That's myself and uh, Emily, Emily uh, Copley and uh, Jane Moat. Uh, so we have uh, first eyeballs on all the submissions and we make sure that every submission is seen at least by two different people. And as it gets closer, more and more people take a view of it. And we work away with the uh, with our founder, um, Valerie Kleeman, um, Alan's uh, partner, to get a long list, which is heartbreaking, of around, I think this year it was 16 long-listed finalists. And then they go to our judges. And we have a great panel of judges who are deliberately chosen for representing different aspects of the whole documentary field. So we, this year, for example, we would ha- uh, we have Mandy Chang, um, the editor of uh, BBC's Storyville, Kate Townsend of Netflix, Ollie Harbottles runs uh, Dog Wolf, one of the founders and head of their their, their documentary there to look at. Uh, what a, a, a distributor, what a top distributor would see in the, our applications. And, and then we always have a practitioner. And this year, we were very delighted to get Gary Cam, who produced the Oscar-nominated film In the Absence, and Patrick Hurley from uh, Docfest, because we partner with Docfest, we're very proud of our partnership with um, Sheffield International Documentary Festival. That's the team. They have a really difficult job, so we sit back whilst they kind of hammer it out and get it down to five, and then those five are invited to Sheffield Documentary Festival. Though of course this year it's going to be a virtual festival online, and we um, have a uh, we bring them across. We pay for all their expenses. We put them up and uh, we train them. They work with the top coach and get them pitch ready. And then later on, on the day of the pitch, somehow our judges have to make a decision on who's going to get the £80,000 award and who will get the um, the follow-on prize of £15,000, the kind of development award. It sounds very tough and I don't envy the judges their job, I really don't. I'm so glad I don't have to make that decision. It (laughs) is awful. It It goes from the absolute joy of, you know, being able to wade into all this talent, all these ideas, and you're having conversations one day with somebody who's in Rwanda and then in South Sudan and then uh, Moldova and Ukraine. And then, you know, then reality bites and you have to get very, very selective. And when you do have the long list and then you get down to the short list and the judging and all these all these applications you've had in and all these story ideas that you go through and read through and read the different treatments and all of that stuff, what sort of projects do you like to support? What's the main criteria you look out for? I think when we first start opening up the emails and opening up the applications, I would say I'm searching for SOAP and SOAP would be an acronym for the where the S is storytelling. Does this director have a flair for bringing me in, telling me a story, using the visual image to 
keep me on the edge of my seat and then the O would be for originality and given that you you know yourself that um, all documentaries are in essence a a quest but there are always we think new fresh vibrant ways to um, to tell that quest story so we're looking for originality we're looking for access the A is access and P is well it used to be passion but it's changed now because um, I now think of that as persistence because you'll know yourself that actually making long-form documentary is is a small miracle it's a small miracle that anybody manages to bring all the the factors together or the team that you need the time that you need you've been running for quite a few years now and over the years you've obviously selected a number of films, a number of projects. Which are the ones that you wish you had supported, but for one reason or another didn't make it to the final one where they were selected on the on the pitch day at Sheffield? I think the process works well enough. The the winners tend to have this extra quality, not just soap, but they they have this acronym, if you like, of of being ace, and that's that they're audacious compelling and emotive and I think those are the projects that tend to win through but on the way you often see um, ideas that you think take you into extraordinary worlds there was one um, young woman was had been following for several years a uh, a family if you like a group of um, transgender Indian models who wanted to send, set up, you know, India's first best transgender model agency. The characters that she introduced to us were just so wonderful. I thought, oh, I'd love, just love to hang out with them. So Jane, I understand as well that there's not just the Wicker Awards as well, that there's also, you also have another set of awards. That's right, yes. I mean, Alan and I, both started our careers in uh, audio documentary and uh, we recognise that there is a um, a lack of independent funding for, for audio and we, we try and um, plug that gap in some small way with our RAFA. RAFA stands for Radio and Audio Funding Award and um, that is uh, partnered with the Open City Documentary Festival of, of London and we give uh, smaller awards because there's a sort of low uh, lower cost of production associated with with audio uh, but we give awards as seven thousand pounds to a, a a great idea meeting our criteria for for audio radio a podcast so this year I'm working with this wonderful audio maker from uh, Arkansas and uh, she has brought to us uh, a an award-winning proposal called Perfect Match about how she made friends with a woman on the same ward as her who was being treated for leukemia. The difference was that her very close friend, sadly no longer still with us, was black and Ibby being white started to ask questions about the differential between the ch- the chances of a of a white sufferer from leukemia needing bone marrow 
to be a perfect match and somebody from um, the BAME community. And this set her off as an investigative journalist and on a very, very interesting and revealing story that um, is peppered with these delightfully over-frank conversations that she had with her friend when they were together. Prior to that, our winner in the audio category was uh, Isis uh, Thompson. She came up with a fantastic idea for a uh, audio story called It Ain't Easy Being Green and Black, which uh, was her experience of being in um, uh, Rebellion Extinction. So we have a lot of fun with, with our audio awards as well as our TV and funding ones. So these audio awards, the, the, the stories can be global. They don't have to be from a particular part of the world. They don't have to be particularly British. They oh, can... God, no. No, no, um, they have to be in English uh, for the audio awards or there has to be an English version and that the same is true for uh, the film and TV funding but no, we are very proud of the international range that we, we bring to the Wickers. If you, if you manage to win a Rafa Awards and you've won that £7,000 to make some audio, is there a criteria, again, as to how long it has to be or is it broadcast anywhere or where, did, where is it finally shown? We have the right to showcase the previous year's winner uh, at the uh, Open City Documentary Festival as part of a um, a day of audio. They're, they're brilliant at Open City and they give a, a whole day towards um, audio makers, uh, masterclasses and um, uh, events and, and showings or listenings, I suppose they would be. No, we um, ask for a minimum of um, half an hour. That's, we have a contract with the winner and we say that we would love to receive a half hour version and then we help them in whatever way is appropriate to um, find an audience. It's not something that you think oh I made that and I'm going to put it in a drawer and listen to it from time to time. We really really care about getting as wide a broad base an audience for the, the winning work as we possibly can. So when we hear that so and so one of our previous winners got a fantastic distribution deal um, is going to be on television on all um, POV channels uh, around the world or is, is going on to one of the, the big streaming networks, we are couldn't be more delighted. So the Rafa Award is opens up in the beginning of May? 1st of May. 1st of May. Brilliant. Lovely. Well, thank you very much for joining us. You've been listening to the Docs and More podcast with Lovejeet Daliwal. If you enjoyed the show, review and subscribe to the series.